Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 67th edition of the Men's Mental Health Show. Um, got a good show in store today, actually, uh, on something that uh, Buddy and I have been wanting to talk about for some time. And we've got uh, the mother of uh, chap, Dylan, who sadly took his life um, in September of last year. But before we do that, I just uh, welcome and our listeners here and abroad. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, the show is brought to you by uh, Noel Pope and the local post office here who support us uh, in every way they can. Also, too, to all manufacturing personnel, proprietary limited recruitment and labour hire companies specialising in staffing solutions to the manufacturing industry and, of course, uh, the Mounties Group. Well, Bodes, first of all, how are you, mate? Welcome. A big change in the weather here, of course. We've got another ice blast. Yep. Absolutely. Um, it is um, absolutely all of that. I was going to go outside and do some gardening and uh, now I'm sort of equivocating. I'll, I'll either read a book in the bath or <laughs> <laughs> dress up like a Neanderthal um, out there to, from the cold. So, um, But I'm good. I've been reading a little bit of Hannah Arendt. Um, she was a, a philosopher influenced by Carl Jaspers and um, she's exploring... Um, uh, ideas um she doesn't like hope she coined a word natality which um really means a focus on action so um when things are not working well um taking action rather than resting in some sort of hope which um she saw as a very passive response to the realities of and of existence um and the challenges so um i'm uh I'm I'm, waking, I'm keeping myself alive to the currents of thought right. from a from a from philosophy. Uh, very interesting. Good on you, mate. Um, and welcome to our guest today, Karen Brokenshire. Brokenshire, Brokenshire. Is it? Have I got the? Brokenshire. Yep. Brokenshire. Yes. Yes. I beg your pardon. How are you, Karen? Yep. Well, thank you. That's good. You're down in the York Peninsula. That's right, South Australia. Yes, lovely part yeah, right of the middle. Yeah, and I uh, came across uh, yourself through uh, my friend Lachlan Lockie. I'll get in trouble if I say Lachlan. He, he always called <laughs> me up on it, and he um, once he told me a little bit about you. I thought, well, we've we've really got to get uh, get you on to share, I guess, Dylan's story, um, and um, you know all the things, wonderful things that you're doing. Uh, not just in memory uh, for Dylan, but for, for all men uh, of all ages and women, of course. So yeah. why don't we, I guess, let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about Dylan. He's your second child, is that right? Yes, he's the second of my three boys. Um, yep, he was a fun-loving young man. Um, he had ADHD. Um just was loved by everybody, including me, of course. But, um, yep, yeah, yeah, very love my boys. He was a big um, hugger. I heard he's a big hugger as well. I'm the, I, I a don't, huge I don't smile and he's very well known for his hugs yeah. and his checkers. Yes, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, made a, um, yeah, he's was very out there, very loved life, loved the adventures, mm. left home quite young and worked. Hated school, or hated the 
being confined to the classroom, I think, more than anything. Loved helping people. Just a very loving boy. Yeah. Wonderful. And you said Dylan had ADHD. Did you see any signs through his adolescence years of, of depression or of deep sadness? I mean, I guess we all had that at times, particularly in through those years, but but nothing, you never saw any signs or of, you know. No, I, I guess if I look back now, there probably were signs, but they were more, um, I guess, he would be, if he's, he was very emotional. So I guess that was, a, I don't know whether you'd call that a sign or not, but he would be affected by betrayal very easily, didn't like to be yelled at. You know, they, those sort of things came quite early in the piece that you could see. But, yeah, just was a generally happy boy. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, Karen, you're saying that, you know, someone who feels deeply such a fun to be around because they bring such colour to relationships, don't they? And now we've got to think about it as a sign. But but really, it, I also think about it as, as um, a personality trait that brings uh, depth um, and a different quality. Other boys might not be as inclined to express sensitivity, if you like. Uh, so, that, you know, I just I love your description that he, that he uh, felt deeply. And uh, I think men have lost that capacity for depth. And, you know, that's part of our retrieval work is holding on to our deep capacities for experiencing and being able to talk about that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing Mm. his quality. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And what? uh, how old was Dylan when he got into this relationship with the the mother of his child? Talk us through that from the beginning. Um, So he left home and worked in Cairns and Gove and in Broome, Kangaroo Island. Wow. He was very physical, loved the outdoors, loved to be barefooted, bare-shirted, running around, having a great time. Um, Had been to Broome a couple of times. This is his second stint and absolutely loved Broome, had a beautiful family, still has a beautiful family network up there. I met this girl and... Um, fairly work, fell pregnant within five weeks and so he would have been what's he now 26 about 23 and within yeah so they came home for a family wedding and you could see the signs sort of then that was August when so they met what were some of the signs I, I don't mean to interrupt um, no that's okay um just it was probably more her mental health signs that were showing through like Dylan, Dylan was like telling us what was happening and because we'd never experienced anything like that before we didn't really understand until you know you'd be sitting at the dinner table when she'd just get up and she'd just push her meal away and walk away and I, I sort of looked at Dylan and he'd say don't worry mum that's just just what she does mm. Um, so that was the October he came home. By the December, he flew home because she'd had one domestic violence order placed on her, a oh. witness attack. 
And um, then they decided they'd come home in the May, which was as much her choice as Dylan's because she wanted to be her son to be brought up the same way as Dylan had been brought up. And lots had happened in that time. Um, and then they stayed with us for two weeks and it was really obvious what was going on and what Dylan was sort of trying to share with us. Mm. And because he was such a fun-loving party boy, mm. it was really hard for anybody around him to understand, especially the ones that were really close to him, to understand how he could be in that type of relationship. You know, I was quite out there with it. I, I loved him more than anything, so it was really hard to see him go through. Mm. Yeah. He was going through and not let people be able to understand that. Then they moved down to our beach house and had their beautiful little boy. What's, and his, what's his name? His name's Lucas. Lucas. Oh, that's yeah. a big part. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there was, there's an absolutely beautiful side to this girl. Yeah. You know, beautiful mother. But then there's the, the other side of her that's a narcissist. Mm. And and we tried to help and everyone, you know, we had police and ambulance quite often trying to help, but just Dylan would go back because of Lucas mm. Mm. continually. And then the you know, the threats that if you dob me in that the family courts will take him away. Dylan just yeah, absolutely loved his little boy and Mm. And that just kept him going back. And then they and she tried to keep him away from his friends and his family. And that, that's what I was going to get to, because that's that's really one of the first signs that I've noticed or experienced through friends or through my own, when I look back, my own life, my, you know, through my marriage and whatnot. You know, I looked, I looked at, you know, I, I thought of all the people that were at my wedding and apart from family and I think two years later, I only ever called one or two of them. And the other 70, I didn't see or speak to or unless I ran into them, you know. Yeah. And but, Dylan was a very big family man, just absolutely loved anything family. Yeah. So, you know, he'd get phone calls and the messages would be deleted or the missed calls would be deleted. So, you know, the it was hard for the family to understand because, you know, and, and these really good close mates, you know, they'd say, oh, we, we've tried to ring or, yeah. you know, but and you don't hear of domestic violence in men. It's just very that's right. That's right. not spoken about. And that's what I find very, very hard to mm. try and get out there. And, and this is, Emotional this is all about the awareness. Bodie, we spoke before we came on and, and you raised a few really good points in relation to um, domestic violence against men. I just thought if you, you could just I don't know, bring some of that up again. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, I think it's, um, you know, one of the um, really interesting things, uh, no, interest, the words are inadequate to describe your experience, Karen. So I'm not, I, you know, I don't really understand. I'm listening very, uh, very closely, um, of course. Um, but um, there is a hidden side of domestic violence where, where men are, um, to use a sort of a problem term, the, the victim, if you like, or the you know the uh, the one who's been um, controlled, or if you like, or manipulated. Uh, we you know we talk about coercive control as a male problem, but I, I was saying to um, Brad that um, violence, whatever shape it takes, whether it's manipulation, uh, uh, physical, um, or coercive or psychological, is not a male. It's not a gender problem. It's actually a human problem. And one of the very interesting shifts that happened in um, thinking about this sort of stuff was in um, the gay community, where um, they began became aware, particularly among gay women, that um, that violence was also prevalent in those relationships, and they thought violence couldn't exist in gay female relationships. But what they discovered was there was as much violence, if not more, in gay in gay. Um, female relationships, which which caused them to rethink the idea that violence was a male problem mm-hmm. um, and, and a male perpetrator. So that's one really uh, interesting point. The other thing I uh, was saying to, to, to in listening to what you're saying is that more men than not love their children very deeply, and your son was highly committed to maintaining a relationship with, with his child, with his boy, uh, and that and that led him to tolerate sort of kind of levels of escalation you know, that uh, overwhelmed his um, uh, desire for living. And that's just one way of me saying that. And um, and that's a powerful part of the story because men's grief about their potential or actual loss of their children is highly recognised. There's a very little literature sort of written about it, um, um, but it's an undeniable fact of a story. So uh, thank you for sharing, you know, that, that your son was highly committed to his relationship. And that's why he, he was enmeshed or caught in a, a continuation so that for you to watch all of that that, that must have been a, such a powerful part of your a sense of wanting to make a difference but really that your influence was limited by other factors that you just had to observe keep watching yeah so, so very powerful yeah it's um I, I can't as a parent myself you know i, I can't imagine seeing it fall apart in front of you moment by moment or piece by piece. Yeah, yeah. What I th- I feel would be even harder or worse for me is to relive it every day. Yeah, it was, you'd, you'd wake up, the first thing you'd think about in the morning is, you know, what's going to happen today or, you know, am yeah. I going to get the phone call that I've been dreading? It's almost... Like, you know, always felt there was something was going to happen to him. It was a lot of physical abuse from her, not Dylan. Dylan, I remember at one stage when he did report her when they were living down here and he, and he cried when he was doing his statement because he had to push her away with the back of his hand. Mm-hmm. So he was very, you know, when he when he pulled away, it was because he'd had enough and, and he ended up pulling away. Mm. hundreds of times yeah. and then they sort of 
you know, she took him away from the family and they went to Darwin mm. to live. And um, I think that was the November, by the December, she had another DVO witnessed um, attack. So another DVO. This is, so this is her second, third actually, sorry, because she had one witnessed while she was down here. Mm. Um, unbeknownst to us, it had three previous ones before Dylan met her as well. Oh, wow. Okay, so she's mm. known for this. Yeah, and Dylan's the second ex-partner apparently to have has taken his life. Oh my goodness, Karen! Um, oh, this is this. previous DVI on an ex-partner. So you know, and Dylan didn't know any of this. Um, we were fortunate. Well, well not, not the quite the right word, but be mm. friends of his moved back to Darwin and. He would, you know, weekly pull away from the situation if if she turned into the horrible self, as I call her, because there, like I said, there is an ab still still believe there's an absolutely beautiful girl there. I've mm -hmm. seen that, and mm -hmm. I would love that too, especially for. Well, now Dylan has two children with her. So another little girl, or a little girl, was born in March, which he did know about, but yeah. she did tell him it was 50-50 hers. Yeah. Or his, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so there was a lot of mental manipulation. Um, you know, you're not worthy. Your family hates you. Um, you're an alcoholic. You're a, you're you're a druggie. Yeah. Um, all of these horrible things. We didn't knew that that wasn't right, but she would wear him down. And, you know, the times that he would pull away from her, she'd be texting him all the time and wearing him down. Mm. Sorry about the yeah. hat. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, no show without you, is it? You went to a monster's <laughs> class. Um, <laughs> and, that, and, that's, and that sort of stuff, Karen, is very difficult, isn't it? You know, when, um, mm. when you try and make a move um, away to get some distance, um, and then the partner redoubles their efforts to actually sort of say, oh, I'll change, I'll do the right thing, blah, 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 um, um, and, and draw you back into that sort of kind of web. And, you, you know, it's, uh, it's well known in um, the domestic violence work, that cycle of repetition, I promise to do better. Um, and again, it's a universal um, phenomena. Um, it's, not, it's not a male, um, uh, it's not only um, men who drive that particular type of uh, manipulation. Um, one of the things that was very interesting for me um, working in the field with men uh, particularly is um, that the, the domestic violence um, workers um, in the Blue Mountains would always say to um, people, don't go and see a psychotherapist because psychotherapists always look for the bigger picture um, and we can't have any bigger picture. There's either, um, um, you know, it's just domestic violence, they've done the wrong thing, um, and um, therefore get out, you know, leave the relationship, all that sort of stuff. So, um, so, so, so men could never talk um, in that situation of what was happening for them that could lead to um, uh, actions that um, did fit under domestic violence. Um, so all, all, always in a relationship, there's two people involved with their histories, their respective histories and their respective capacities, which are either developed or undeveloped. Um, um, and in any situation which involves manipulation, 
Um, what, however it occurs is an opportunity for repair work. Um, and I guess um, um, that, that, that for me, um, that one-sided idea that um, there's a certain blindness to the idea about um, relationships and about men as always just the perpetrators. So, um, you know, your, your, your store, your, your reality that you're sharing here um, um, is a direct uh, challenge to that hegemony or to that sort of one, one dimensional view. Um, mm. And um, and any loss in any domestic violence situation, whether it's male or female, is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a devastating loss. So, um. I guess Dylan was very much a reactor as well. He was, you know, he, if, I guess if he was in the pub and, and some fellow spoke to him nastily or, or he was more of a protector, I guess, too, like he would protect his mates, he would step in, wouldn't hesitate to step in if there was if it was male involved. But when it came to physical violence against a woman, he was brought up in a home where you don't, you know, we, we drum that into him, you never hit a woman. Okay. So, yeah. you know, and that was really hard for a lot of his friends and family members to understand why he would take being king hit while he was driving at 110 kilometres an hour with his boy in the back seat. You know, like that was one of the things that police said, you should have stopped. But he said, if I stopped, she would have run out on the road with Lucas, which is what would normally happen if he stopped the car. She'd just get out of the car mm. and, and he'd be sitting there waiting for five hours at a time, mm. not knowing where she'd gone or just, you know, like waiting for her to come back and... Mm -hmm. Just, just, just hearing, hearing that. Sorry, you know the policeman said, "Why didn't you stop?" You know, that, it, I mean that to me shows the mentality of how the system is is set up in protecting women more so than men. Now, if it was a, a woman uh, driving, I, I doubt the policeman would say, "Why didn't you just stop?" You know, it would be um, a completely different set of circumstances. As I, I've seen I've, I, I, from many of the men I talk to um, that are going through the fact where they're not seeing their kids, they're not they're not getting that support through the police. If you, if you go down, if you go down, if, if there's a domestic violence situation, now, and I've put my hand up because you know I was an offender. I, you know, I, I did a lot of horrible things when I was in my marriage, but it did go both ways at times. Um, you know. There's, they've got a, an entire system where there's a, a legal, uh, sorry, a liaison, female liaison officer. Um, there's not a male liaison officer. Um, there's a shelter for all women to go to. Um, the shelter for men. No men's shelters. There's none. And you know, um, you know what? What I did was a horrible thing. I put all my stuff, my wife's stuff, in the pool, and I, I just had my uh, left ankle reconstructed, and so I was in a boot. And uh, so I left because I didn't want to, you know, I just, which I did, which really upset my, my ex-wife. When arguments, I'd drive off, you know, and, you know, I, I, that was it. I couldn't come home, you know, because she'd gone to the police and, and, you know, she was in charge of my bank accounts, um, you know, all of those things. So, and I couldn't see my kids. Not that I was probably in the best position or state of mind, but so... I guess from that, my, my question to you, Karen, is what have you been doing since 
this. I mean, I, I know what you've been doing, but just share with us some of the yeah. things that you've been doing in getting awareness towards this, you know, horrible situation. I guess not, not a lot for the first um, 12 months. Yeah. It was just learning to live again, I think, without... Like Dylan and I spoke just about every day before he met this girl. And, um, you know, so that was really hard to accept that. Um, it took us, uh, here's another really important thing for, for mothers. Um, when your boys go out, make sure that they've got a, a will. If we didn't have a will, um, we probably wouldn't have been able to bring Dylan home. That was really important. We went through five Supreme Court cases because she tried to say that she was still in a de facto relationship, even though he he had pulled away from from her. And we had we went to Darwin when we found out that he had tried to take his life the first time. Um, so I knew that I wanted to share his story, and when it was coming up to twelve months. I approached our local paper and asked if they would do, like, help me do a story. I'd like to share Dylan's story. And the lady who was the editor now had actually um, helped one of our local schoolgirls had done a fundraiser for in memory of Dylan and had cut her very long hair off. So she was a little wow. bit aware of the situation. Yeah, so we've had some beautiful people around here that have walked and done a heap of things um, in memory of Dylan. Um, so, and by sharing that story, it actually really helped me help him. So when Dylan, the week leading up to Dylan's passing, we met with different people and, and we obviously spoke a lot. And one of the things that he had said to me that when he was in the mental health unit, he had thought he'd missed his calling. And I said, you know, what do you mean by that, Dylan? He said, I don't think I was supposed to be a mechanic, Mum. And I said, well, that's not right, mate, because you're, you're a bloody good mechanic. And even though that was another thing, he never ever got his, his apprenticeship, which is what he really wanted because she made it very hard for him to work. So he never got that. But I said, well, mate, I think you can do both. I said, I think you can, you know, like volunteer. And so we had met with a counsellor the day before and he was going to volunteer and um to help people so um help people in the similar situation so yeah. um and still you know attend his doctor's appointments we had it set up we, we met with his to be boss uh, the day before and um and we were later to find out that his ex-partner was actually seeing his boss and we think, well, well, I know that that's that the betrayal was what ended up taking Dylan. He found out the day, on the day oh, that. Oh, wow. So, um, so that was, you know, we couldn't understand why he was he was so focused on, you know, getting custody or shared custody and um, doing all these good things. And he was in, he looked like he was in a really good place. I don't know if that's what I was wanting to believe or. Mm, well, mm. I do believe that it was the betrayal that that took him because he loved his his son beyond words. Mm. Um, so because I've done this, you know, I've put this story out in the paper. Um, it's 
it's it's to get the word out there, like to get the word. Like a lot of people knew Dylan, a lot of people didn't know the full story. Yeah. It was um, to make the awareness of domestic violence in men, yeah. to help mums recognise it in their sons, their sisters, their brothers, their aunts and uncles, you know, to, to see if there's any changes in, you know, things that you could, could pick up and, you know, we had nowhere to go with Dylan. We'd, we would try different places and there'd be no room for him because he didn't have his son with him. If he had Lucas with him, then, you yeah, know, we would have been able to get some more help. Yeah. But um, I've had quite, quite a lot of feedback, even in the early days of Dylan's passing, of other mums that are in the similar situation with their sons and different ones that have passed away because of domestic violence in men. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I've got lots of things that I would like to happen in the future, um, but <clears> definitely <throat> getting, and, and it's all based around getting the word out that there, it's not just women. You know, Enjoy. I know there's organisations out there that promote its no. gender. It's yeah. not gender, but like they, they um, advertise women. Everything is about women, and I acknowledge that it is probably a higher percentage. Well, it is a higher percentage, but we don't know. Nobody knows because it's not advertised. It's not, yeah. you know, where the statistics on men. Yeah, it's eight a day. Violence, you know, yeah. and Dylan was, you know, he'd be very reactive, and when he would pull away, that's when he would speak up. He'd be so angry that, and he, you know, would wouldn't speak very nicely either, which I didn't like. But that was his way of expressing expressing what was actually yeah, happening. happening to him. Yeah. yeah, and he would drink a lot. Yeah, um, well, because he, you know, he, the only time he was ever allowed to drink was when he was being rewarded for doing the gardening or. Right, so he'd be almost. Do you think maybe in a sense there? Is self-medicating a bit with with the alcohol, oh, right? And yeah. because you know, it, it, and Bodie, I'm sure will agree, is it's a you know the first way that men open up. You know, and I was just speaking to a mate of my son. I spent the night down at his place last Friday night, just because he's having a bit of a hard time in life. Was he got angry, and you know, and it was his first. It was a the only and once he got through that anger, then I could then I could get to that level where I was right. Now I'm hearing what it is that you need yeah. to change or well, what it is that you need well, to do. Yeah. So it, it's it's quite a common thing, isn't it, Bo? It's anger for me. Oh, look, absolutely. Um, there's some level you can see that our culture has um, said men men you you do things and women you 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 describe things and, and feel things and nurture and all that sort of stuff and there is a certain sort of rigidity in those kind of ideas of uh, how men conduct themselves and how women conduct themselves but you, you probably heard me say now uh, on a number of occasions that those role demarcations are, are, are old ideas that are redundant and we need to actually start to broaden our understanding of um, that uh, what it is to be human rather than what is it to be a woman, what is it to be a man. Um, and, you know, men are socialised at some level or whether they pick it up just in watching too many John Wayne Westerns, um, you, you know, to hop on a horse and ride off uh, um, you know, without saying anything. Um, and so, you know, we, uh, um, 
one man told me once that he said, uh, I was only born with about a thousand words. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sparing in the use of them in, in case I run out. And I, and I, <laughs> very funny description, but, um, but actually very true, you know, that um, the, the um, and another guy uh, said, uh, I said, well, what do you feel? He said, I either feel bad or I feel mad or I feel sad. So he had, he had three primary um, sort of kind of feeling realities and there was no nothing in between. There's certainly no joy, certainly no um, uh, wild enthusiasms. Um, so, yeah, I think part of our recovery of, uh, of uh, men and boys is, is to develop this very um, powerful um, toolkit of emotional understanding. I've been able to talk about their feelings, I've been able to say, Gee, I'm not traveling that well at the moment, or I need a hug, or you know what I mean, at, at the simplest of things. Um, or, um, gee, I think I need some help, you know what I mean? And, and um, you know, Karen, I, I was thinking that there's a, there's a term in grieving that's called anticipatory grief. And, and for you to have been watching your son's journey and wondering what's the next thing going to be, you've been carrying a grieving well before um, he took his own life. And so, um, you know, what a weight you've been carrying um, um, for a long time. So I just want to acknowledge that. Um, yeah. yeah. I was actually scared that, you know, once, once they crossed the Northern Territory border that she'd push him out of the car. Okay, yeah. That was, you wow. know, like, and then to see them being Darwin, I thought, oh, that's, at least I know he's safe up there. But yeah. there, was, wow. you know, there, wow. was, there was times where, I wouldn't, and I still would never change my phone number because he knew that off by heart. So there'd be times where I'd get a phone call from an unknown number and I would never answer them normally. But if it rang back the second time, I'd answer it yeah, because it okay. would be him. I, I know damn well it would be him. Probably from the phone. He would yeah, get yeah. the ladies or he's run down the road or. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's sort of taken a. Yeah. Quite a while to not wait for that phone call. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and then try and work out how we can get this awareness out there. Yes. Well, well I can hear that uh, from you is that uh, how to get that awareness out there has become your mission, your um, your raison, you know, your reason to be um, and to, because uh, you've learned. It's like Ellen wanted to as well, you know. Like he that's what that he too, really yeah. wanted, yeah. Well, let's, yeah. let's talk yeah. a, bit, a, a little bit more about that when we come back for the second part in just a moment. But, uh, you know, also to uh, all of the, the many, you know, when we spoke, Karen, and, and how I've been speaking to Lockie, all the many positive things that have come from it since. Um, and we'll talk a little bit further with, about your relationships with your husband, how's things there, and with your other two sons. I'd like to know a little bit about that if you're happy to talk of it. We'll see how we go. Let's just see how it goes. Welcome back to uh, the 67th edition of the Men's Mental Health Show. Um, it's been a terrific first half. It's been very raw, very emotional and um, confronting, which is uh, the way I like to sort of go about things. And I know Bodhi does as well, um, particularly for us as men. It's something that uh, we need to do a little bit more often is um, talking about the real stuff, such as what we're doing today. We're with Karen Brokenshire, and we're talking um, about her late son, uh, Dylan, um, relationships and, and, and uh, violence against men. Um, 
and we've heard of some of the things that Dylan had to uh, endure whilst uh, in his relationship regarding, you know, manipulation and control. Um, but, um, and then we spoke a, a about some of the things that, that you've been doing, Karen, since um, Dylan's passing. And understandably, you know, you said it took a year almost before you were able to, you know, really get things going in what you felt Dylan would, would have wanted. Um, but I wanted to talk about if it's okay with you and, and, and please, you know, just steer away from anything if it's, if it's too much. Um, the the knock-on effect that uh, suicide has, not just on families, but um, communities um, and um, people, you know, right across um, our country, you know. We've got Lockie here in, in, in New South Wales, so I know that he was... He was very moved by that. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? What, what it, some yeah. of the you noticed had changed? And um, so we had a visit from the suicide support group when we were in Darwin um, and one of my sons had to or had returned to South Australia that day, so he didn't have that talk. Our other son listened to it but wasn't really ready to listen. Um, and but later that afternoon was quite emotional. So I think even though he wasn't listening, so to speak, he was taking a fair bit of it in. Um, my husband, who was there at the time and I didn't think was going to sort of want to listen, I think he ended up asking some questions as well. So that's been very, that was very helpful. Um, and we've been able to refer different people, like people that we know that are struggling to that support group as well and their connections in South Australia as well, which is, have been wonderful, good for both of us. I guess it was very overwhelming for us for the support that we did receive when we were in Darwin. Like we were out there for quite a while after with having to attend all these Supreme Court cases. To be able to bring Dylan home, um, so that to us was very, very overwhelming. The stories of Dylan, who had Dylan, who had helped people before, um, you know, just that was very overwhelming. And and we're very, very grateful that we still have a lot of contact with his friends. It was nothing for Dylan to be out socialising as he did extremely well before he met this lady, um, to hand the phone around or if I rang or, or they would ring and speak to me. It didn't matter what time of day or night it was. So it's mm. I, I'm very, very blessed to still have that contact with a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, that's lovely. That is ongoing, isn't it? Yeah, that, it sure that, is. Yeah. Um, but with that also comes a lot of um, worry, I guess, because there's a few of his very close friends that uh, are struggling, I guess, um, with life and his passing. Um, now, there's one in particular that I know tried to take his life and I don't know whether he knows that I know, but mm. um, and the only thing that stopped him was his family and knowing what I'd been through. Mm. So, mm. you know, if it's... Being able to talk about it is huge for me. I don't believe in hiding things. 
that's really that. powerful, you know, just, and I beg your pardon, um, you know, to say that this friend of your son or, or this young man, to, to, and, he, and, he, and he didn't retry to take his life because of the impact and, and everything he sees what you're going through and then applies that to his own family. I mean, that's saving, the one a, thing, it's, yeah. it's saving a lot. What scares me about that is Dylan, you know, after his first attempt, swore and declared he would never do it again. Yeah. Mm. So he that's his GP, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. He shook hands with his GP and, and Dylan was a very, you know, like if he shook hands, that would be it. He was very, very, very loyal boy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was... I could never work that out. And it was about four weeks later when we found out about this boss of his. So once we yes. realised what, what had gone down, the understanding was there. But And and I'm, I don't know if grateful is the right word, but at least I know why Dylan left us all, and especially his son. I feel yeah. for the people that don't know Yes. why. And that's yes. probably another reason why it's really important for me to get the awareness out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The pain that they would go through would be worse not knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's while we talk about Dylan, it keeps him alive mm-hmm. in our hearts when you've never been anywhere from him. But you just got to talk. You just got to keep talking. Yes. And especially with men. And, you know, with my boys, the one thing that I did say was, please ask, please ask for help. You know, like, please talk about him. Please get some counselling. So, you know, this suicide support group was our first thing. But the first thing that I did say to Dylan when he pulled away from from what he called his toxic relationship was you must go and see your GP. You must go and, and have this all documented. You must have somebody that you, can, you feel confident in talking to because if you can't talk, you bottle it all up. Yeah. And then no when, you, when, you, yeah, when you have a drink and another drink and another drink, that's when, you know, everything would come out with Dylan, which was a good thing because he was releasing that. But then there'd be like the... You know, he might drink for three or four days on end, but then there would be that because he was with his mates and he loved his mates. So, you know, and he he would have the best time when he was with his mates, but there'd always be that day that would come where he was tired and the message text messages started again and that, that's what would wear him down and he'd go back with all the promises under the sun. And But when he did finally leave he he got legal he made an appointment with legal aid which he'd never done before he we had plans in place for him to get a new apartment and for somewhere to live work whatnot but his gp was his first protocol and when i listened to Lockie's episode mm. um and i fell in love with your show because mm. I, I i read you know everything you were saying was exactly what i was thinking um, I decided that I'd go back to episode one and I wanted to listen to 
all of your episodes and I'm well into listening to them all, as you know. Um, episode one was about your friend whose brother had taken his life, yeah. Bradley. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that... Yeah, and that was, yeah, hard but good to listen to because the things that I was thinking um, helped me realise that I know that I needed to keep going with this. I need to get that awareness out there. I need to, for mums of sons and partners, well, friends and family to see that, Mm. you know, you really have to, listen and look and as a a lady that I'm working with to clear like help declutter my mind because I've got so much that's going on and trying to do so much and not being able to to clear it enough to be able to do what I want to do you know her famous saying is stop focus and notice Mm. so you know like try and stop yeah not doing things and you know there's just yeah yeah, just trying to Get it out there. Yeah, it's um, it's a really, really difficult uh, topic. It's it, 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 you know, when we first started doing this show, it was so new, you know, and uh, I, I even had someone from my family say to me, "You really want to do this? You really think this is a good idea?" And um, uh, yeah, that that just inspired me to do it even more. But we've we've had so many wonderful people come on the show, and you've probably heard of a chap who's, uh, are you okay? Which of course, Dylan took his life on are you okay daily? Um, mm. we, we, the, who's our local chief inspector policeman up at, uh, Gary Sims. And we, whenever Gary comes on, we tend to talk about those, the, the clues or the signs of when you see somebody, uh, that may need some help or may need to open up. You know, we talk about, uh, the fact that they may just come to work and they're not, they're, their shirt might not be ironed or their hair looks different um, or they, they're, you know, they're becoming recluse, um, you know, closing off from the world, not answering calls. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've always said it, it, each of us, if we see any of those things, we have as, you know, as an unwritten law, if you like, a responsibility to do something about that. We had a couple of amazing women that come on at Penny Holbrook and, and Alini, um, who are just so wonderful. And just the, the way they talk about how you sit down with someone that you think, um, you know, is acutely depressed or, or looking towards self-harm and how they talk about, you know, approaching that. Um, and they make it sound so easy, don't they, Bodie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. With, with Dylan, like he was a very physical, beautiful, had beautiful physique, and then he COVID set in and couldn't work, and you know the the body was growing. He was very proud of his dad bod, which we were too, because he was a beautiful dad. Um, but the signs were there, and when he would pull away, he'd reach out to his friend, he'd make all the phone calls under the sun because he was able to. Um, But what I guess we didn't understand was that we needed to continue, continually contact him. Mm. You know, that was one thing that I can see this. There was a lot of signs now, but not understanding 
or I knew exactly what he was going through, but for other people not actually understanding. So how do you? Where, I don't even know how to explain it. I guess yeah. we just, I think now if I had my time over, um, I would be continually contacting him yes. and I'd be continually yeah. saying to his family and friends, please ring him, please yeah. ring him, That's what he's going through. But it was very hard for them to understand. Yeah. Being a tough lad going through well, that, really? As you say, they'd, they'd see well, someone like Dylan. They'd see that he looks after himself. They see that he has a lot of self-love. Um, how could how could this happen? How could he? I could never think of that. And it, you know what I mean. And so, what about? Um, and, and sorry, Bose. I know you've got some some things to add, but what about yourself, Karen? What 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 do you do when? These moments get really tough. Do you do you have a, a support network yourself? Some good girlfriends you can talk to. Uh, do you oh, see sure. a therapist or a psychologist? I'm not. What? Yeah. How, do you, how do you go about it? Because this this is not going to. This is lifelong. No. Mm. So this, you know, it escalated when when of course Dylan met this girl. But I was very lucky to have a workplace or a, a manager that was very understanding. Um, she knew if he rang on, I'd have to take a phone call. Um, although I throw myself into my work. That's how I cope. I've got beautiful friends and my family. I'm very, very, very lucky to have the support. We all are. Like, you know, we would not be, I don't know where we are today if we didn't have our, our family and our friends. We're from a small country town. You know, the businesses that have supported us and just all the friends mm-hmm. that Dylan made. This is just getting stronger and stronger, isn't it, since yeah. the passing of Dylan? Wow. You know? Oh, the reconnections that we've made, the people that have he's he's made, you know, reconnect with us, mm-hmm. the beautiful stories that we continue to hear about, you know, some funny ones, some naughty ones. <laughs> I want, you know, for I want to hear all of that. I want to keep hearing all of that. So, yeah. you know, to, to talk about, to not talk about him kills me. Yeah. yeah. You know, like people well, say, how yeah. are you going? And, and I do the same thing. Oh, how are you going? That, Ooh, it's just, hey. uh, yeah, such a wonderful, wonderful, powerful thing to say. I want to hear about all of those stories of my son, yeah. good and bad, you know, all of them. Um, Absolutely, you know I'm not I'm not travelling well, but I have to keep going. I've, yeah, I've got yeah. to, you know I've still got my family, I've still got my friends, and I'm forever grateful mm. for that. But I do have my days, believe me. Mm, mm, mm. And I'll hear a stinking song that will send me flying, or mm, mm. you know, just my mind will wander. Of course. Of and I've got to keep going. Yeah. yeah. I've got to do what Dylan wanted to do. We've got to yeah. get it out there that there are blokes in this position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've got to make it. We've got to, it's got to be out there. You know, like there's, it's plastered everywhere. I was away on the weekend visiting my son and his family up in Roxby Downs. And, you know, I walked into the community centre there and there was a big, board up there that said women's health you know and it was all about 
getting help for women, what about the men? Mm, mm. There's just nothing out there. I mean, I don't go into a men's toilet. I don't know if there's anything in there, but I don't believe there is. No, Do you know, just as a suggestion, contact your local Are You OK ambassador. Give them a call because, I mean, I think you'd be a terrific ambassador for Are You OK. I, I, I really do. Um, you know, not a hell of a lot of things that you, you do, but it does uh, share awareness. Um, think of, of a lot of them, you know, uh, Lifeline. It, they do remarkable things and beyond blue. But there's an incredible statistic. I'm not sure if I'm spot on, but it, it was something like 75, 80% of the time, if a man rang Lifeline and a woman answered, he'd hang up. Okay. Yeah. But, if, but Lifeline is 85% female staff, only 10, 15% male. So it does say a lot. And, and these, all these things can, they're not helping in, in reducing, you know, the rate of suicide. But getting back to what I was saying, sorry, if I go off track, I do that sometimes, but I, I think you'd be a, a remarkable ambassador for Are You OK? Um, and getting your message out there. Create a, a podcast, do your own thing where you can simply do what we're doing here and then start it with, with going out to your own social media and sh share, just do one yourself and, uh, you know, of Dylan's story. It'd be, it'd be so powerful, Karen. You know, like with, with Dylan, we, I felt I had nowhere to go. Like I, I knew about Lifeline and Beyond Blue and things like that, but I didn't think that I could, you know, it never crossed my path to ring them myself. It was, you know, I always had Dylan, you know, and I, I jumped into his head. If you get into trouble, you're in one through one, triple four Dylan. You know, that was the police number. But um, I don't know for Dylan whether that would have helped. I don't know whether, because he wasn't, he didn't want to talk over the phone, mm. you know, so... This is where if he had somewhere to go, would have been, you know, if I didn't have his yeah, beautiful friends there. You said, and I beg your pardon, yeah, but that we call it a mental health uh, network team. So, yeah. and you have like a physician uh, like Bodie or your GP or both, um, yeah. someone in your immediate family, and then somebody that's not necessarily a close friend or you know, somebody that you feel comfortable that, you know, trust, um, but isn't necessarily so close because I think having that particular person, they can share or, or you know, expel a lot more things that they wouldn't otherwise say to mum, GP, yeah. Odie. Um, Dylan told me things that I probably didn't need to know, but most <laughs> of the time he was, very, he was very open. Like with his ADHD, it would just come. So, you know, he didn't think about what he was ever saying, really. Um, but I think to if the awareness was out there more, he wouldn't have felt so alone. And I don't know how to explain that. But, mm. you know, when he was in the mental health unit, they did not know that he was a victim of domestic violence. Mm. And yet there was three DVOs protecting him. You know, yeah. they did not, he did not once tell them. That he was a victim of yeah, and, and, and I think that's a very real issue. 
um, about shame. You know, I think uh, that Dylan was obviously a strong, outgoing sort of kind of person, but it would be very difficult for him to actually say to other people, actually, I'm in a t terrible relationship um, and um, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. That The, the shame of um, being in that situation and not able to, uh, and, and trapped by it um, meant that he sort of um, uh, was unable to talk or able to share crucial information that may have raised flags for other people to actually say, gee, we better, we better look at this. Um, so a man's capacity to internalise their shame um, stops them from actually saying something because shame is such a corrosive energy. So I think um, um, you're, you're right to name that, uh, Karen, you know, that, um, that, that despite the shame of something, that is still cru crucial to point out what's going on. Um, the, um, the other thing I was, what you exemplify, what, what you know, and what you're saying, Karen, is that um, the body of Dylan um, may not be with us anymore um, in the form that, we, that you knew of, but the relationship is forever. And you are working, um, you know, to, to, uh, on that basis, um, that this is forever. Um, and, uh, and it's also, you know, ironically part of your recovery of loving your son um, is loving yourself and loving other boys that might be in the same boat. So it starts to have a powerful ripple effect right out in the community. So all, all um, you know, blessings on your, um, you know, your, your, your journey in, in taking on this, this piece of work. Just, you know, the other thing about... Um, GPs. I've I've worked with a GP with a with a client because I, I see men mostly. Did some work talking together, me and the GP, to make sure that we're on the same page with what I'm doing and what he was doing and that sort of stuff in order to actually um, you know increase the resources to to help this person um, who also had uh, a lot of suicidal sort of stuff going on. So the other reality that you're also naming, isn't it, that once a once a once a um, in a in a community there's a suicide um, it increases the rate of suicide in that community in a way that we don't fully understand but there's that kind of vulnerability in the community what, what it's pointing to is the vulnerability in men um, that is the hidden issue and you're right there are no banners there are no um, heightened consciousness um, our bias predisposes us to actually say only women are vulnerable and struggling and caught up in these things. Um, and you're, you're wanting to correct that and say, hang on a minute, uh, <laughs> that ain't the truth at all. There's a hidden problem going on and, it's my, and I'm going to expose the hidden problem. So mm. absolutely. Yeah, that's, I think, yeah, it's well said, but, and I, and I think that that's important that what, what I'm getting from Karen is it's, it's, it's not being disrespectful towards women and, and the help that they're getting. It, I think Karen's message is the fact that, you know, we, we as men, or, or she sees that men, they just need a few of those things at least, um, you know, by way of support. Um, you know, once, once, you know, a marriage or a, a relationship comes to its end. Or, you know, to, to in general. Yep. yep. It just needs to be out there in general, just like the women, you know, domestic violence in women. Mm. You know, that's that's widely advertised. It starts in school. It, this yeah. needs to start it in does. school as well. Well, that's right. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's spoken about in the wellness of wellbeing centres and things like that. But 
um, you know, one thing that I picked up on from your episode one was, you know, the accidental counsellor course. I had yeah. no idea that existed. So mm. that's one thing that now that I'm trying to get some funding for is to um, bring that to, I know it's been down the bottom of the York Peninsula, but I didn't know about it and I don't live that far away from there. So, and that was... Yeah. So that's, that's my drive at the moment is to... Try and bring that to the Central York Peninsula because there's so many people around here for different reasons that would benefit from yeah. that. And the, so accidental, the accidental counsellors course is, is everything I was talking about with, with, with Alini and Penny, the two ladies that come on, you know, a couple of times a year. And, and it helps you with recognising those tools, all of those things. It's very basic. It's only really a four-hour course, I think. Um, yep. But it's, it's, you know, quite intense. It's quite a lot to get through. You'd be wonderful in, in, in you know, facilitating something like that. I, you know, I, I, and someone that's gone through your, with your journey. Yeah. Just, but the other thing that I really would really want to try and, and set up is well, nationally somewhere where men can go. Um, you know, like being able for a man to go somewhere when they're in a situation of not knowing where to go, but it's widely recognised like a, that's, well, my thoughts are a mechanic shop. Yeah. Um, you know, like most men have a car, they're comfortable talking about their car. Mm-hmm. Some women can go into a bar and ask for a lady's name if they're in trouble. You know, yeah. maybe yeah. a man can go into a workshop and say, hey, can I speak to Dylan, you know, or some some. Yeah. Something yeah. like that, and for that mechanic or Mate, whatever to yeah to, to realise that a little sign out the front, mental health facility, uh, you know, to yeah, the shackers with a spanner, you know, yeah, like it's, it's a safe wonderful. a safe house sign, you know, so that's, that's what, something it, that I would really love to yeah. see. So, what's preventing you from doing that at the moment? I guess is some. I don't know how to start. <laughs> okay. Well, we can I can talk to you a little bit about that and help you out. Um, your local member will certainly help, um, be it, uh, you know, whatever, you know, side of the fence they're sitting on. Um, some local members, so your federal member might be more interested in mental health as opposed to your local uh, member, but there's certainly funding that's been allocated for doing things like this. Also, too, if you can do something like that, are you okay will certainly help with funding towards something like that. And somebody else that's very good is your Bendigo Bank, okay? So they're a not-for-profit. A lot of not-for-profit organisations. It's like what I do for, for our show. Um, it helps pay the bills, and that's Mounties Group. These, they're, you know, the largest RSL club in the Southern Hemisphere, um, you know, and, and they, they help us out there a bit. It's a little bit of a conflict of interest, I guess, because, you know, RSL clubs bring in gambling, but... Um, you know, the chap that I work with is looking at getting poker machines out of clubs so and, and concentrating more on subclubs and sport. And, but I, what a wonderful idea to be able to go past a, you know, a, a workshop or, a, you know, and have a sign at the front that says, you know, mental health advisor. Yeah, somebody. awareness. Oh, you know, and, and maybe have a checklist of are you in immediate danger? Okay, this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um do you need somewhere to live? Okay, this is who to ring. You know, like just just to get it out there that if you are in trouble, there are places that you can go to. Yeah. Right. It's not knowing well, that. You know there's women's shelters. You know there's 
you know, you go to the police and you mention one thing about a man and they're straight on to it. And, and yeah. our police here, were, I'm, I'm not knocking police at all. They they do what they can. And, and I've got a, a cousin who's a police officer and I spoke to him and he said it's an unwritten rule that you always protect the, the women even yeah. if you know that it's not. So they know, mm-hmm. um, and our two police ladies here were, were my backbone when when Dylan was home. They were brilliant and, you know, they saw things and tried, and, and our Ambos as well, you know, they knew exactly what Dylan was going through and they pleaded for him. Chalk and cheese with the ambulance and the police, you know. Yeah, for me, but they were brilliant. Yeah, the police sort of... And that's, I guess, being in a small country town as well. Um, yeah. But, you know, they were, they went way above and beyond to help that situation. But because it wasn't widely recognised, that didn't help Dylan. No. So, you know, if I sure. know if it was more out there, um, mm. that it wouldn't be so hard for these guys to be able to, mm. to open mm. up and, and, mm. and say, okay, this is actually happening to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right on, Karen. You're right on. Your, your, your instincts are spot on. Um, and, um, you know, you don't really know where to go, but as uh, you know, uh, I think as Brad's saying, um, there's there is a lot of mental health funding um, for rural communities because we recognise that men don't seek help um, and carry the heavier burden of suicide as a successful suicide. So um, um, it's starting to kind of talk to the local member um, and thinking about. Um, you know, information that can help a, a, a person who's floundering, if you like, doesn't, doesn't know where to ask, I think is a wonderful tribute to your son um, and, um, and you know, beginning awareness program. So I can't say enough. Your instincts are right on the money and you're moving towards that direction. I can feel that, I feel it, you know, when you're talking that, uh, uh, um, that this is your beginning journey and, um, and curiously, you know, you said that Dylan himself actually said, "Oh, I think I'm in the wrong game." Um, that, that that for a moment he understood that he he was getting something out of help thinking with others. You know what I mean? And um, in a more enlightened time, we would have grabbed hold of him and given him some training and planted him in the community. You know what I mean? To, to actually offer that, and he would have been, you know, becoming a different person as a result of that. So. Yeah, so yeah, I'm very moved by your holding the space of your own personal grief and your family's grief, you know, um, but also turning it into an opportunity to actually make a difference. So um, that, that that's very powerful. Mm, it is, and you know, I, I just see in, in manner mannerisms and who you are, Karen. You, you, you know, it's, it's like you're you're not just a mum to three sons and a grandmother, you're a mum to a whole hell of a lot of people in your community and and external family. And um, it's just wonderful to see, uh, you know, something that is from circumstances of of absolute tragedy um, to see you today. And, you know, you're just a beautiful woman um, Karen, and I think what you're doing is is just wonderful. And this idea that you've got of um, wanting to to extend out 
um, and get other, you know, workshops or whatever to, to get involved in helping prevent suicide. It's a, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful trait to have, it really is. Okay. Yes, it's. I've been. I'm, like I said, I'm very blessed to have a beautiful community behind us, and lots of, and not just our local community, Broome, Darwin. You know, he he's he touched hearts from newborns to a hundred year old people. Like he was just so able to um, communicate with with anybody, and and mm. you know, if we can help someone and 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 their families especially mm. to be able to recognize and and support and mm. and stop this increasing statistic yeah. of um you know men not being able to get the help and then not thinking they had anywhere else to go and yeah. you know that's that will be my journey for the rest of my life yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely. We've only got a few minutes uh, to go, but before we do wrap up, do you see uh, Lucas and Lucas's sister? You don't see No. no. Um, but if, if, if because they're up, uh, where are they up at Cairns? In Darwin. In Darwin. Darwin. Um, yeah. But you, if you were to go there, you'd, no. Oh. I, I would love to. Um, absolutely love to, and and I will never stop trying. But yeah, there's resilience well, I, there. I, and I hope, as as I say, um, as I've learned through you know my journey, that you know time is a healer, and um, I hope that in time she sees that, and I, I I'm, I'm sure that um, uh, Dylan's kids would just love to see and spend some time with unfortunately i get i've been the victim of her narcissism as well um you know I'll, I'll get some beautiful messages and then i'll get some very disturbing messages so i just have to keep my head above water and pray that one day we will get to see these beauties and um uh, yeah yeah and that they will know what sort of a dad they had that that I'll never stop trying never ever he's got a beautiful that they have got a beautiful family here that that really want them in their lives and and it's words that are stopping us at the moment but I'll do everything in my power to to make sure that they know their family and what sort of a dad they had because he loved even though Dylan knew that his daughter may not be his mm. he would have loved would have loved her like was, like she was she's yeah. fine until proven otherwise so you know as much as he never met his daughter I've got beautiful footage of him as a dad with Lucas and yeah photos he, he, don't ever lose your photos that's yeah Photos and videos. If you are okay, um, when I put the because the show will go up next week, it goes up. We do it week in delay, so maybe email me a photo or two, um, and might use that as opposed to yeah. using our sure. If you are happy yeah. to, to do that, 
Um, it's yep. been a terrific show, Bates. Thank you, mate. Um, of course, Bodie's a psychotherapist and his uh, Bodie, Bodie Marzen, M-A-A-S-E-N. Bodie's located in Wentworth Falls here in the Blue Mountains, 0424 416 I'm sure you can uh, get hold of Bodes uh, through that number or um, uh, might put up his email address if you wish to contact him here or abroad to uh, also thank our listeners for today, as well as our sponsors, uh, Dale Hunt, Mounties Group, uh, Noel Pope, the local post office here in Lawson, and uh, also too, to my good mate, Craig Beachy, from all manufacturing personnel in uh, recruitment and labour hire companies specialising in staffing solutions to the manufacturing industry. You can get a hold of Craig on 0416 just over a minute to go, guys. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been a, a wonderful episode, um, Karen. Uh, I know it wouldn't have been easy. You must have been quite nervous um, before coming Sorry. on. I can only imagine. But uh, you, you were remarkable. You were just truly yeah. wonderful. Thank you. you speak speak very well. You speak very well, Karen. And, um, um, you know, I just love your... Uh, commitment to actually putting the word out there, and I think that's uh, is going to reap a lot of harvest. The big harvest will uh, will come out of this. And I, I like to say to guys, look, yeah, I might be a psychotherapist and, and a counselor and all that sort of stuff, but also have a trade background. Um, so I'm going to talk at your level, um, and I'm not going to sit there and just take notes. Um, you know, we're going to get engaged and have a have a genuine relationship. You don't really um, like talking shit either, do you, Bage? You just get no, no, never, never, never. never. <laughs> uh, but let's get that. real. Let's, let's have a real relationship rather than a than a pseudo sort of thing.